Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. And I just want to say, I, Keon Sobani, vouch for this company, hardcore. I will go to the ends of the earth for Manscaped because I've been using their products long before they sponsored the show. I've been a huge fan of their products for a long time. So when they actually approached us to sponsor the show, it was a no-brainer because we've already been using their products and uh, and their products are simply awesome, really awesome. And they sent us all that managing with a kit. It comes with a ball deodorant. It comes with the actual uh, weed whacker, the, the lawnmower. It comes with a ball toner and it comes with these super comfortable boxers that I didn't even know boxers could be that comfortable. Oh, Marvin, have you tried the boxers? Yeah, they're maybe the product that you care the least about, but they're really quite good for a pair of boxers. I mean, I have ones that I'm quite comfortable with, but when I got these, these were just a step above. It's it's nice and elastic, so it can fit around any kind of waist size and still give you kind of a clean, tight, comfortable fit. It has really good support for the ball sack area, and you know, support for a ball sack is kind of the whole point of these products anyway. So I was really impressed with it. I didn't really think I'd be using it that much because, as I said, I already have boxers that I'm comfortable with. But whenever I kind of want to feel good, when I want to feel relaxed, whenever I'm going out for like to, to any kind of physical activity or something, I put those on because I know that those are the best. And I think it just shows the, the quality of product that Manscaped is. And if you can get your hands on all of this stuff, you can. And I'm pretty sure there's a promo code or some kind of discount you guys can get by listening to Magic Madrid and applying it. Yeah, and Manscaped also has other amazing products like cologne, the Crop Mop Ball Wipes, Crop Reviver Ball Toner, and the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. And for all the females listening, you'll appreciate this part. Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they'll use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code managingmadrid. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So Welcome to the final post-game podcast of the season. We are here Saturday night to record our final thoughts on what has been a rough, really rough season um, that we're all ready to move on from. No trophies, over 60-plus injuries, not including COVID-19 infections to staff and players. A season where Casemiro and Sergio Ramos were joint second in the team's top scorer list with seven goals. And that's with Ramos missing a bunch of games and had a mid-season surgery in the midst of all this. So... Um, you know, we also continually just to pour salt in the wounds can mention that we basically saw the Eden Hazard situation unravel into worst case scenario. And we saw the money we spent on him along with Hazard himself basically just burst into flames. So we'll find some silver linings. We always do. We can look ahead to some things. Uh, you know, we got to see how good Militao, Miguel, Blanco were. Um, 
But boy, lots of questions need to be answered. This team has a lot to improve on, injuries or not. So joining me, Kian Sobani, to recap a win over Villarreal and to look ahead to what's next is Om Arvin. Om, how are you? I'm doing all right, I guess, considering that we lost the league. I didn't actually expect us to win that game, so that was a pleasant surprise that we were able to come back and give Zizou a decent send-off. Obviously, it's not amazing, given that this is the first time for him that there will be no trophies, but at least it was with the win. It would have been kind of pathetic if it went out 1-0. Like He, de- he definitely deserves more than that, so that was good to see. And also, I'm coming off a little bit of a high because we're recording this right after the Dallas Mavericks take Game 1 versus the Los Angeles Clippers, and Luka played pretty well. So I'm happy about that. That's lifted my spirits a little bit. But yeah, I guess I'm, I'm doing better than most people are after we've lost a league title, after battling all the way. And we were given a sliver of hope, and then Angel Correa scored an incredible goal, and then Suarez ended it. And basically took away all hope. Whatever little hope that we briefly had was gone. I love how you wanted to record this early-ish because Real Madrid Feminino played tomorrow morning at the crack of dawn. But then it all changed when you f- we remembered there were NBA games tonight. So you, you yeah, basically... I, I had to watch this one. <laughs> are you are you going to stay up for the last one's the Celtics one, right? There's Celtics Portland is. playing at 10.30. Oh, those West think, Coast I'm not, games, forget about it. Um, unless it's like I'm not, Warriors I'm versus Lakers, I'm probably out. Or, or at least, like, I'm really, really thankful the Clippers and uh, Mavs game was an early one, early tip-off today. I was very thankful for that. Other than, Otherwise, I'm not sure if I'm going to get into it. By the way, what's Eurovision? Why is that all over Twitter? What is that? Is that something I, we get here in North I don't, America? I don't know what it is. It's some music competition, I think, between countries or something. Um, all I know is I saw a video of like some some person who was part of like Italy's like band or whatever. I guess like doing coke or something on live television. So that was fun. Seems like a blast. Um, or what uh, what allegedly appeared to look like he was doing coke. No confirmation, but I, I don't know what else that could have been. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know what exactly the show is, whether it's kid-friendly or not, um, but it was a weird mix of NBA tweets and Eurovision on the timeline, and you couldn't exactly tell which was which because people watching the game and Eurovision were both yelling about points. So bit bit confusing for me, but I, I hope everyone who watched Eurovision had a good time. Seems seems kind of kind of like a blast. Between that and aliens, I feel like that's pretty much what t- Twitter discourse is right now. That, by the way, that's the the silver lining in all this is that none of this matters. The aliens are just taking over, according to the internet and the Pentagon. So there's that. That you know what we're doing now is inconsequential before before the invasion. So this is a wild start to the podcast. <laughs> um, look. That you can tell Kian is tired right now because he's just saying stuff. I'm also I'm I'm tired, but I'm also proud of myself. Today was day one of no coffee. And I'm trying to push myself through just weaning myself off of caffeine and seeing how far I can go. Right now we're at seven thirty PM Eastern. That's a record for me. And obviously that's I'm not going to consume any coffee now because then that would be a terrible idea. But the fact that I made it one whole day is uh, I'm patting myself on the back. So whatever version of Keon you get tonight, just be thankful that I'm I'm alive to do this. Um, the I'm kind of 
excited a little bit to push back on a lot of Real Madrid discourse. And I saw a lot of things like, you know, we're proud of this team and I'm so glad we sent Zizou off with a win and, you know, proud of Modric. I just think like, you, I think we have to zoom out for a second and remember that this was a long season. This league was lost a long time ago. It wasn't, it wasn't lost today. We dropped a ton of points against teams we weren't supposed to drop points against. And, and mind you, when we, were, we had all of our best players available, this was happening. So I, ju- I just don't want to pretend that just because we won today and uh, we did all we could. No, we, 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 we should have done way more before this. So I'm not in that mindset right now where I'm like, you know, holding hands and saying I'm, I'm really proud of this team. I think we have a lot of questions to be answered. I think we need to build this squad way better um, than we've built it so far. But beyond that, beyond the, the you know, the top-down approach, the, the macro scale, the signings, the squad building, and the, even the coaching, even on a micro level, I think there's a lot to tweak here that needs to be tweaked. So I'm, I'm excited to go against the grain here a little bit. I'm not kind of in that mindset where I'm really proud of the team. I think I expected a little bit better. I, I will stand by it. Someone asked me before the game, is it a failure if we don't win the league given the injuries and the fact that it's in Atleti's hands? And I stand by it. Yes, it's a failure. I think we lost this a long time ago. I think it's not about what happened these last few games. It's not even about what happened with the handball and the non-penalty or the penalty thing with Militao against Sevilla. It's not even that. It's before that we lost the league. So um, I just want to point that out before we dive into it. And I also want to say, Om, this was not a flattering game for Real Madrid. The two goals, I'm not sure what happened to Villarreal's defense in the second half. It was kind of weird. It's, it's, it's also very strange for me because I, had, I was going to go to that presser today, tonight and ask Emery about, like, you know, the way basically they took Vinicius and Asensio and the wingers out of the game and uh, just to speak about the defense a little bit and also their press resistance. And I kind of had to just scrap the question because their defense just fell apart and... Even on the two goals we scored, I'm not sure what the marking was going on there. But um, so, so yeah, I just want to say that I, I might be a little bit more critical than most tonight. I, I think there is a lot of room for improvement in this team. Yeah, I I think I'll I'll be kind of there with you. I don't know exactly where. We'll see what you have to say. But I thought this was a really poor performance for most of this game. Uh, it, it was sort of classic Zizou or, or classic old Zizou. I don't know if it's as representative as, as the guy we saw the last two seasons, but in that mm, something about the thing looks a little shaky, the original game plan, maybe not completely on it. And then he makes a bunch of sort of, I guess, strange substitutions. Like I definitely not expect Casemiro to come off. I can't remember when's the last time he's done that, mm. but ultimately I think it, it ended up being actually kind of positive. And, and so that's the second set of changes and we'll get to that. And it ultimately ends up leading to a win. And and there's something, I guess, a little poetic about how that went down. But we, to to quote Zizou, who said this many times, and I guess we're not going to hear this again for a bit, but we suffered for a lot of this game, especially in the first half. And there's something really weird going on with our pressing, as I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, in terms of the larger part of the picture, I actually went down and charted down all of our injuries just to kind of give me a picture of like what it was like and as expected huge concentration of October and November I think November was actually our worst month in terms you know the extent of all the injuries 
um, but also like just the amount of players that coincided. But I do think it's worth pointing out that the majority of these came to our defense and where we had the most depth. And so, so just I just want to get it out of the way. I do think the injuries are a legitimate factor to consider in terms of what held us back this season. Though I don't know if you chart it all out and consider game by game who had the better squad coming into each game. I don't really think it's enough to say that, okay, because of the injuries, that's it, right? Like, we can't win a league title. And there, there's two main reasons for that. One, I think we had an underrated level of squad depth versus the other teams in the league, especially in defense, which is where we saw the majority of our injuries. Um, obviously, Carvajal, Ramos were basically out for the season. They weren't they weren't factors. But Militao was available for, for a large part. Lucas Vasquez was available until recently. And then we had to bring in Odri Zola. And then the big one really was Mendy, right? who was basically there the entire season. And then he goes down in the April period. And that's where we have to call upon Marcelo. But large for, for the vast majority of the season, we were able to have a pretty solid defense given the injuries that we had. But again, not to say that. that means, okay, yeah, I mean, there's no issues that Zidane has to deal with. It still takes some skill. It still takes some managing to, to ensure that, that we had a good defense. But if we look at the, the defensive statistics in the league, it was actually pretty good, right? Defense wasn't necessarily the problem. It was offense, and we actually scored, I think, the exact same amount of goals as Atletico Madrid in the league, which is something I didn't realize until very recently, right? And if you look at our midfield, the main injury is Fede Valverde. And then Casemiro, Modric, Kroos were remarkably resilient. Together, they only missed eight games throughout the season. And then in attack, I'm not even running Hazard because, in my opinion, you needed to come into this season assuming that he would be a non-factor. That was my position that I very explicitly stated at the beginning of the season. It's not something I'm saying now. Big one was Rodrigo, who was out for basically a two-month stretch uh, I think December through or, or the end of December going into February is basically when he was out. But otherwise, we largely had the attacking pieces that we needed. And then this is what everyone overlooks. And I'm not really sure why, but we knew we, we, we couldn't anticipate that there would be this many injuries and this many repetitive injuries. Like Ramos himself suffered like eight to nine injuries or something, which is like, um, you know, we're, we're getting like to 10% or whatever of, of the total number of separate injuries we've had was just on Ramos. But we knew that this would be a physically draining season. We knew there would be a lot of injuries, even if it wouldn't be that many, because everyone knew, right? Intensity dropped off for 95% of the teams across Europe in anticipation of this. There was no barely any time for preseason. It was a congested schedule. Right? We started very late September and we're ending, you know, before June, right? If you think about the season, and yet we got rid of Odegaard, we got rid of Luka Jovic, and someone is at fault here is basically my point, right? Like, it, it just can't be a season where we pass through and it's like, oh, we didn't win the league title because it was just all bad luck, and that's it, right? Like, if it's not Zidane, then the players didn't perform in particular games where we could have won. If it's not the players, then I think, you know, maybe it's Zidane who didn't do some certain things in, in games, you know, not being able to utilize a different type of play to keep players like Odegaard and make them useful. Like, if if, if Fede Valverde is having injury troubles, right, you're relying on three central midfielders, I'm not sure it necessarily makes sense to let this guy go. 
whether or not he's happy with the playing time he has. It seems that we're very good about Zidane and and, and the people in charge are very good about being harsh and making cold and calculated decisions when they need to put someone on the field. But as soon as a player is like, oh, I'm a little unhappy with the situation, suddenly we're, we're extremely gracious and we're like, oh, well, then you can you can go, right? We'll, we'll let you go. Like, we're, we're being good guys, right? It's what we did with Marco Sorrente. It's what we've done with a number of other players. And it's just a bit of a weird mentality for me. So my, my, my point in which I've, I've been, like, saying, I guess, coming around to very messily is that someone is at fault here. I think this was a very winnable season, even taking into account all that we've said, um, and and not winnable by a lot, right? I don't think we we, we should have we could have ran the league given the issues that we had, but I think we should have won it. Like we'll we'll talk. Everyone is focusing about what we did and all the issues we had, understandably, because we're all Real Madrid fans and this is a Real Madrid podcast. But Barcelona are terrible without Lionel Messi and with the coach that they have. Um, just because of Messi, they had the best offense in the league, but defensively, they conceded a goal a game. They're terrible defensively for a title contender. They were, I think, 10 points behind the league in the first half of the season. Like, everyone thought they were out of the picture. And then Atletico Madrid basically collapsed coming into the final stretch of the season, large uh, in large part because they had a stretch of where COVID hit them, took out their starters, and Atletico Madrid's depth is terrible. Like, outside of their starting 11, they just don't really have players who can fill in like we did in defense, right? And you can plan out, oh, well, we, we don't have depth elsewhere. Like, midfield, right, we got rid of our depth in part, like, with making decisions like Odegaard. So I, I don't think this was by any means, like, a horrible league, you know, campaign. I think if you were taking it on the balance of things, I think we did okay. I think done. you could give a lot of is done you can give a lot of credit to certain players especially our midfield which just basically played every single game possible without anyone who had the potential to come in for them I thought maybe maybe Isco was underutilized but it wasn't until late in the season that we realized he could actually be a factor um, but ultimately the question is did we put ourselves as an organization as a coach as players do we put ourselves in the best position to win the league title given the circumstances we had and I think people are really letting someone off very, very easily if the answer to that is no. Because if I think you take it on a game-by-game basis with the squad and 11 that we had out there, I don't think we did all of what we could in every game. And, and I think you're correct, Kian. You have to look back to matches like Elche, like Osasuna, like Levante. Those are points Cadiz. we shouldn't have dropped. And Cadiz, and even if we didn't have our starters, are you telling me you'd trade a single Cadiz player for the player we had on the pitch? No, you wouldn't, right? Like, we had the superior 11. So that's that's my kind of take on it. I guess we just decided to get to it now, but I think it's, it's kind of good to kind of get that out of the way in terms of, and I'm sure we'll loop back to it, but that's my general feeling on it, right? Did we, in if, if, if we're really looking at it and we want to be honest with ourselves, Look at the squad we had on a per-game basis and consider the games that we you think we should have won and then consider did we win it, right? So when you take that into account and the fact that, in my opinion, we faced the worst league contenders since 2008, I I, I really do feel like we should have got this league title. I, I do believe we could have squeezed in three or four more points um, from some of those matches where we dropped points. And so this is a disappointment to me. It's not a disaster. It's not a disaster to lose a league title by just a couple points and you took it to the final day 
but I don't think it's good, and I don't think you just brush it aside because there are many, many questions we still have to answer, right? If there's no issue, then then we could just go into next season with the same squad and 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 assuming full health, we'll be like, oh, that's it, right? If you can't have it both ways, you can't be like, oh, there there are some issues here, the squad's not good enough, and at the same time, it was a fine, like everything was fine, right? So. I guess we'll we'll get into the game and, and talk about how how some issues there popped up and how that shows stuff we need to solve moving in. But yeah, I'm I'm more in the middle, right? Not I I really cannot say that we did a horrible job this season because that's that's not true. I don't think that's defensible. But this idea that it was all just heroics and everything was against us and we did everything we could, I find that hard to defend as well. Um, and yeah. I guess I'll just kind of end that spiel there. I just love how you take a machine gun to me, like with and just pump me with bullets of all these talking points, like and and I have to choose <laughs> now which one to, to to take. I think let's let's uh, remind me by the way to come back to that. Um, what you said about you know letting players go like Llorente, like Odegaard, and as if like somebody's forcing us to do it. And uh, and whether we should keep players against their will or whatever, that's an interesting discussion. I think we should bring we should circle back to that. Um, <clears throat> there's no doubt what this team went through from a health standpoint was insane, and particularly for me when it peaked, like you mentioned November, I think just because it all happened to our backline. Uh, just recently that one was even trickier to navigate because it was like every single one of our backline positions was decimated um that to me the whole wave of that defensive line getting decimated but really throughout the whole season i was impressed that you know zidane the way he navigated that I, i really was i do think the second leg Chelsea, which we discussed to death, how we were disappointed with that injuries or not with the way he approached that game and the way he, he did not adjust to it and the way he, after the press conference, after the game in the press conference, he said that there was no need to adjust anything. We just needed to basically keep knocking on the door. Um, I think it's frustrating that really all you needed to do this season was be like 1% better, like marginally better. And just have any kind of production from the wings. Anything. Any kind of production from the wings. Like 1% uptick could have won us the league and should have won us the league this season. Again, in one of the worst Barcelona teams I can ever remember um, growing up. Possibly since um, the mid-2000s or so. And then you had um, Atletico team, which is a pretty good team. And Luis Suarez was an amazing acquisition. Um Llorente really coming in, into his own stuff like that. They're also like they were also they also dropped quite a bit of points. I mean, it is interesting. So you brought up the stats that we've scored the exact same amount of goals as they have. Our defensive stats. I mean, they're defensively they're just a better team than us, uh, but not not by much. And you know, both Atleti and us overperformed our XGA a little bit. We got a little bit lucky that we didn't get more goals conceded against us, but it's not like we, were, we weren't that far off from each other. And the main difference was basically that they won one more game than we did, and we drew one more game than they did. And I think it just basically comes down to the little things, Ulm. I mean, you look at the playing time. 
Um, it really maybe it went under the radar a little bit that Rodrigo played less than a thousand minutes this season. A lot of that will have to do with injury. Um, he he did miss some time, and I think it's worth revisiting that maybe if he's a little bit more healthier, that could be the little difference. Because remember when you, Matt, and I were going through Rodrigo stats midseason, we were talking about like how he's basically number one in everything per ninety, and it's fun to revisit that at the end of the season now. He is second in the team in goals and assists per 90. He is second in the team in expected assists. He is a player who actually has some efficiency to him. And, and you know, maybe if we get a little bit more of him. And I, and I think that's the one position of all the positions that get sorted out. And by the way, I think it was a little bit premature that everyone said that we're saying goodbye and like, to like eight players and Anzi Dan and all this. I'm we really we're not sure exactly what's gonna happen. I, I think it's a little bit too soon to start saying goodbye officially. We really don't know. But out of all those out of all the transitions and things we need to address, I think we need to address what the hell is happening on the wings. And uh whatever we decide, it's gonna be a tricky decision either way because we do have Bale coming back and we still have Hazard in the books. So that's two spots right there. We're not sure what to do with and how to basically get rid of those contracts. The other thing is like we have a pretty efficient Brahim Diaz and AC Milan right now that I'd really like to have a closer look at. We still have the whole Odegaard thing happening. So to me, it's the wings that really need to be addressed. We need more productions and we need more help for Benzema. That, that's the main thing. We're, if we just are any other version of Real Madrid except for basically this one. We score a couple more goals. We can create a little bit more offense and be less predictable. This is a this is a league this is a league title in the rap. So we just it's incredible that we couldn't pull it off in a season like this, if we're being honest. So the Rodrigo one is the big one for me, actually. Uh, I mean if people are looking for a singular excuse, I'm not sure the logic works that way. But Rodrigo is the one we all said at the time. Um, well, at least I know I said at the time that like that injury really hurt because I felt like with how Vinicius was struggling, especially at that point in the season, that we could slot him in on the left and he could he could really give us something, even if it wasn't going to be this insane boost, right? It, it would be that marginal thing that might just put us over the top. And then he was out basically to the end of F- F- February. I'm not sure since then right, like March onwards, that we necessarily used him enough. Like, he was available. Um, and I know in certain starts, he, he didn't necessarily set the world on fire, but that's going to happen. It, he mainly came on as a substitute. If you just go through the fixture list and look at all of his games since he came back um, March onwards, he was available for a very sizable portion to end that season, and he just wasn't really picked as a starter, right? Asensio was given a lot of run time, um, I, I don't necessarily think it was wrong to give Vinicius a lot of game time because I think his best part of the season was that final third of it. But I, you, you can definitely make a case that there were certain games where you're like, okay, I slot Rodrigo in over Vinicius if Asensio is going to keep playing, right? So that that's the thing, right? Like it, it goes both ways. I, I think you can always point out things, and I don't think I don't think you're wrong to. It's about the balance of it for me. But you can always point out. Okay, these are all the things that held us back. And then so on the other hand, you have to be like, okay, so when we were in certain situations where we did have players, did we use them to the maximum? And I'm not convinced that we necessarily did, right? And so 
it 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 it, it just is a tough one. For but I, I find it hard to believe that it was just beyond impossible to find that 1%, 2% somewhere to, to, to win this league title, basically. Um, and that's that's just kind of what gets me, because coming into this season, I think everyone should have expected that we should be strong favorites to win. Then injuries happen, we get into the situation. And then I just kind of feels like the majority of the fan base is at a place where it's like, this is this was fine. This is perfectly acceptable. No one else um, could have got us into the position that we're in. And I'm just quite I'm just not sure that's the case. Right. It's this weird dichotomy between being frustrated with our offensive approach every single game. Right. And the lack of diversity with it and basically resorting to sending Casemiro up the pitch. And yet at the same time, from the grand perspective, being, you know, saying that we did everything correctly. I'm I'm just not sure the logic clocks out with all of the discourse that's been happening because you notice a lot of frustration game to game, but then from the big picture, there's like this unexpected level of, I guess, acceptance and patience from this fan base, which is a little surprising to me. Um, but I guess it's better than than being like really really angry and just getting into that mode because at least we start from a place where where we can have a discussion. Um, but yeah, it, it did it did definitely surprise me a bit to to see a lot of the post reactions given how a lot a lot of the anger and frustration I've seen on a game to game basis from everyone. Yeah, I do think I th- I, th- I I I would urge the fans to just maybe try to look at the try to analyze this in the most holistic way possible because I think you do see a lot of extreme takes one way or the other depending on who you're a fan of if you're a fan of the coach or a fan of a player. And you feel very strongly uh, about a certain idea. You know, there are the people who say, um, this is Zan Zidane for not inspiring the team. Others who say it's, you know, Vinicius' fault. Others who say it's Asensio's fault. Others, you know, there's the player versus tactics battle. I just, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around if you really wanted to. You don't have to put it on one person you certainly don't have to put it on a on a on a young kid who really in defense of Vinicius he was accelerated like crazy <laughs> like I don't think remember when Solari brought him in initially no one like that I don't think that was the plan certainly like to bring him in from Castilla that early he exceeded expectations in his first year and now all of a sudden his expectations just went up through the roof um, is he on the level of a Sancho, of a Foden? No, he's not. Of course not. Um, he has a long way to go. He has some promising um, tools to work with. I'm not saying that you can, you know, you can be patient with him forever with regards to his goal scoring and his finishing. But you know, he's still really young. Let's just. I, I don't think it's. This is not all on him. I do think like. You know, while we can talk about Zidane's tactics and the lack of offensive ingenuity, um, I also think there's there are there are players in attack that were far too passive this season, and I don't know what else you want Zidane to do in that situation. Like Hazard, when he was on the pitch, was he doing anything? Asensio comes and waves. Today, both Asensio and Vinicius were ghosts in the first half, and um, Rodrigo had an impact when he came on the second half. So maybe that that is some kind of vindication for what we're trying to say. But if you look at this game, Om, 
the th- any time that Real Madrid did something, and it was kind of few and far between, it came off the back of a player taking it upon himself to break lines, whether that was Fede, whether that was Modric going through a dribbling sequence, whether that was Rodrigo in the second half. It all stemmed from those plays, and those are the plays that we needed more of this season, I think, that we just didn't get. So I, I, I think the, the blame can be dispersed. You know, we don't have to throw it on one person. There is no one, I mean, yeah, there's no one singular element that you can put all of it on. I know people will want to maybe look for, for that one person. Um, naturally, the, the conversation always kind of starts with Zidane because that's how it is in football. We always kind of start with the manager. And I, I just think, I, like like you were saying, you, 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 I think it. there's a lot of blame to be had if or, or spread around if you kind of want to do that way. And then a lot of praise, vice versa. So, like, I guess if we're, we're focusing on Zidane, we could talk about what he did well. And I think, yeah, just to start off with the way he managed the whole defensive situation, you know, eventually coming around to trusting Militao, playing Nacho at fullback, some of the back three things he was doing, especially to protect Marcelo, uh, maybe it didn't always work out, but I understood his thinking, and I thought, uh, I thought it kind of made sense, right? Marcelo just—he's not—he can't really play in a back four anymore. That's just just not who he is. I thought that was clever. Just after a, a shaky start, after that kind of like November period, I thought our defense started to come around and looked more like it did last season from the general perspective. So I thought that was strong and shows continued improvement from Zidane on that end. And then if we look at specific matchups in games, right, like the Atalanta game stands out as as one of the best performances of his career, just in terms of what he was in control of and then how he was able to exploit the the, the opposition coach's tactics. And then the performance that, that was able to be had by everyone out there on the pitch. And I, I think if you were looking at how I think to kind of frame, because this is such a complicated season to analyze, and I don't blame people who are kind of unsure about which way to go or or just kind of want to settle on it, fine, you know, I'll I'll accept it because there's so many factors more than many of the seasons that we've looked at. I I think you can frame it basically on the uh, Atalanta and Chelsea games, not because it all boils down to that, but I think it's illustrative of how you can go about analyzing things, right? So the thing with both games is, in my opinion, strong favorites versus Atalanta and underdogs versus Chelsea and yet I'm very happy with the Atalanta performance and very happy very unhappy with the way we approach Chelsea which can be weird to say right because the expected result happened right we beat Atalanta and we lost versus Chelsea if you were simulated a million times you'd expect that to happen it's not about the result if you're judging performances it's did we do it? Did we optimize and leverage our situation enough to put ourselves in the best chance of succeeding? That is the question that needs to be answered when you're assessing the season, and that's how you can have a situation where Atalanta becomes, you know, Zidane's best coaching performance of the season, just off the top of my head, even though we were expected to win because Zidane absolutely did pretty much everything he could to put us in a good position to win whereas Chelsea he didn't right especially the second leg he made all the wrong decisions you know it was a really rare moment especially in the Champions League and even though Chelsea were better than us they they came out and and should have destroyed us right in terms of goals scored because we didn't approach it right that that's kind of like the mindset that I think we need to take when looking at the season 
And I don't know if it becomes a lot easier, but then it becomes a little easier to approach things logically, right? It's it's about the process perspective. And you just don't need to do that with Zidane. I just I I started that with Zidane because that's it's a little easier to do it with coaches, but you can also do it with player performances, right? If if you think a, a particular individual was really good or or really poor. And then you can also do that with, you know, Perez and the people who built the squad and built the team and made decisions about who was loaned and who was not and where people were loaned to. Did we put ourselves in any given moment in the best position to win something? And for Zidane, I think it's mixed this season. I, I, I really don't think it's a question of like he did. I mean, it was just the greatest like coaching, like floor raising job of all time. I think it's mixed more on the positive side i don't think it was perfect for the players i think for kroos kareem benzema those two did basically everything they could this season i think casemiro modric once casemiro got better people ignored that he was really poor defensively basically up until november once he recovered him and modric did everything they could and then you can look at players like did vinicius do enough you know even given you know this the pressure that's on him and, and how young he is, maybe not. I thought he was poor for a lot of this season. It took him a long while to recover. Did Asensio do enough? Absolutely not, in my opinion. I, I really don't think Asensio did enough. And then you could just kind of go down the list. But ultimately, I think you look at a lot of players like Militao, really, really good. For some reason, Varane's been a massive escape this season, but he's been our best defender this season, if we're really thinking about it. Lucas Vasquez did well. Um Mendy did really well, but did Marcelo do enough? No. Did Odriozola do enough when he had time on the pitch? No. And and basically that's I, I I don't know if I'm just repeating myself here, but that's how I'm trying to articulate how you go about looking at this season. It, it takes that kind of framework to I think even begin to 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 get into to the muddy waters and and start to clear things and clarify things because otherwise. It, it's very easy, I think, to just sit back and, and just look at things from a very broad perspective and say, lots of injuries, tough games, hard La Liga season, eh, I don't really know. And if, if our if our job and our objective is, is to try to get to the heart of things, I think we need to do a little better than that. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, and obviously probably the one you didn't mention, but obviously it was unintentional, was Courtois, who was... Um... Yeah, Kurt did. Really immaculate, pretty it was much. Incredible. Is it just is me, one, by the way? This is the best season he's had in a very long time. This is one of his best seasons. Do you think he's improved with the ball at his feet? I don't. I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> I've heard people say that, but uh, I. I think he's been. I think he's he's had a better shot stopping season than last year, and uh, I. My thing is like people will see an improvement on one end and then for some reason will always want to just say that everything has improved. I think he has a slightly higher passing accuracy, but it's it's still not good. And there are plenty of games where I can point to where the passing was a, a, a big debt. I mean, I thought that second leg versus Chelsea, his passing wasn't good, right? Like he couldn't access the free man in the back three and and it seemed like some of some somewhat of a strategy that Zidane may have been intending if there's an improvement I don't think it's significant enough to say that it's not a negative but I've seen a lot of people say um, I'm not sure where it's coming from Um, he still had mistakes this season maybe he's had less I don't know but it's still kind of a detriment yeah I mean in those uh in the Champions League high pressing 
against high pressing teams he's basically forced into just long balls where he gives it away a lot but he's also like today he had one where he's under pressure and he just stays so calm and he just kind of drops his shoulder almost with supreme confidence and cuts it back and then and then plays and then distributes it out wide i can't remember it was in the 40th minute i can't remember actually exactly who was pressing him or who he had to pass to i just that's the only reason i asked the question because i just noticed that moment and he looked so comfortable in that moment and i i started to think i was like he's been at the very least he pretends like he's 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 allison which is probably a a bad thing overall but i don't know I mean, maybe his composure is better. I mean, that could be part of it. Like, just less panic, whether he can execute consistently or not. There will be a positive uptick if you just approach things like you can, right? Like, Casemiro hits those blind crossfield switches with a lot of confidence, um, and they come off sometimes. Furlan Mendy, when he's forced onto his right foot, he, like, puts a cross into our box. Like, he intends that to happen. I mean, I don't know, like confidence does a lot for you. We've seen how it goes the other way with Vinicius, uh, perhaps. Um, but ultimately, it's like, where is the bar and what is the ultimate end product? And I don't know how much I care about an improvement if it, it's still a negative to our possession play. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, if, if Courtois is going to have a shot-stopping season like he's had, then then I'll live with it. Uh, I, I think distribution from the goalkeeper position is very important, but it, it doesn't out-shot-stopping for me. Do you want to know where he ranks among goalkeepers in the top five leagues in terms of passing accuracy? What, is he like top 10 now or something? Is the only reason you'd ask that? He's 79th. I guess that's where I'd expect him to be. He's at. I honestly didn't expect him to be that low. 37.7% passing accuracy. Newer number one, an absolute freak, 60.7%. I suppose he probably has the luxury of just basically... I mean, I haven't watched much of Bayern in the Bundesliga this season. I assume that he basically can just make short passes like Ter Stegen does to to his defenders and call it... Courtois should be able to, to... to Kroos and Varane and Militao. And, I mean, I know Ramos isn't there, but I, I'm pretty sure his percentage is worse last season. Yeah, Ter Stegen just right behind you or two. Um, anyways, let's go back to the game. Do you want it? So we can, big picture stuff we'll come back to, I guess. Um, it's so funny because you and I said we have to try to keep this to an hour. We're 40 minutes in and haven't talked about the game yet. But although, to be fair, I don't know how many people actually want to hear about the game or if they want to hear more big picture <laughs> stuff, to be honest. You and I and Matt, last week, was it really last week that we recorded a podcast? I think I missed the last one, didn't I? I can't remember. But you, Matt, and I had a big picture discussion at some point recently on the podcast, naturally, um, talking about like kind of what's next and stuff. Um but uh, so we have kind of discussed it a little bit here and there, but we'll we'll come back to it again. Um, do you, what what did you think our issues were in the first half of this game? So I think it continued into the second half. To be honest, I think Villarreal just got a lot less inefficient and then did some. They made some weird decisions, conservative decisions that we'll get to. But 
my primary issue, and I know there was a lot of like lethargic on-ball stuff, but that may be more down to individuals within the system that we know Zidane is going to play. The, the the interesting decision, and this is what I've not been understanding, um, and and this kind of again, it, it this kind of again gets to the heart of the the complexity of analyzing the season because we say we're so tired, our players are gassed. Then why on earth are we high pressing when it's nil nil, right? I, okay, I get, we go one nil down, which I'll get to how that related to our poor high pressing. But okay, you you go one nil down, you don't really have a choice. You got to chase the game. But why are we pressing when it's nil nil? Right, like we, th- this went back to Chelsea first leg. For some reason, we went out high pressing, and all of the discourses were tired, we're gassed, and don't press, right? And then the decision to also go out and press in these weird shapes t- today was very interesting. So we know that when we press out of our established four three three, which becomes a four four two with someone stepping up, usually Modric and Modric and Cross are playing together. But when it's Modric and Fede, it can be Fede who steps up. It's usually the person in in the right kind of channel area that does that it's very solid we know how to cover shadow the defense midfielder if it doesn't work out we're very good about being able to quickly get back in shape there's a level of familiarity and chemistry which is hyper important with pressing because you will not always get the press out of your preferred shape and so there's a lot of really fast split second decision making and understanding and marking that needs to happen off of of your surrounding context so you keep the structure stable and we went with a different pressing system today we decided to go man-to-man across the entire pitch which i thought was curious it was Asensio stepping up alongside benzema on the two center backs and fede valverde was the guy or he was supposed to because it didn't always happen this way but he was the guy who was supposed to come on parejo modric had capu and Casemiro would step on to Trigueros. And then if you're working that out in your head, that leaves us with a three versus three at the back, right? Because Vinicius is the one taking the left back on the other side. And um, uh, our left back, I, it's really, okay, Gutierrez, Miguel Gutierrez. I forgot his name for, for like 10 <laughs> seconds, which I'm sure was pretty obvious. But Miguel Gutierrez was in the back three, right? And he was the one taking Jeremy Pino. Varane had Gerard Moreno. And Eder Militao had Carlos Baca, right? So that was the intended pressing scheme. Um, and to be fair, when we were in that scheme, it was okay. And when I say scheme, like those players on those assignments, we did it off of, we had a lot of time on goal kicks to set it up and usually it was okay. I don't know if it was brilliant because the Villarreal just through the way they play, which is very, a very structured possession-based side. We all know how what Unai Emery's tactics are like at this point. So a lot of wing combinations and up back through movements to be able to break lines, get that third man run going. And, and against this, man-to-man press specifically Gerard Moreno's intention was to drop all the way off to receive and then have Baca um Baca especially run into that space that he had vacated and 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 they'll play that ball in so essentially it was almost like a false nine situation with two inside forwards I know Jeremy Pino uh was played a little more classically but with Baca coming out from the left it was very much a false nine situation with with two players who were going to cut inside the channel so it wasn't my preferred setup but if we actually look at the breakdowns, the, the serious breakdowns throughout this game, not an overwhelming amount of them came from this structure. The issue is that because there's so many adjustments that are happening here to go three versus three, 
against their back line and go man-to-man everywhere, there were so many times where we didn't see that shape, and it became confused, and there were plenty of moments where Fede Valverde was looking around, he's like, where's Asensio? And Asensio's on Trigueros for some reason. And so Fede Valverde is like, okay, I'm going to press. They step up to press. But because they're and, and this is the funny thing, right? We're very good at cover shadowing with Fede Valverde stepping up or, or one of the central midfielders stepping up. But in this particular situation where we're confused and we're trying to press out of a out of a system that we out of a system that we can't and we wanted to initially, suddenly all of those principles fly out the window. So Fede would step up to press the center back, Modric would come over onto Parejo, who who felt Fede is leaving. Um, for some reason, in a lot of these sequences, again, Asensio is on Trigueros, and Od- I forgot to mention Odizola is the one who steps up onto the left back, um, and Casemiro is in a position where he's marking no one, and so many times, I don't know how many times you saw this, Keon, but on film review, Kapu was open like six, seven, eight times in that first half, and Villarreal did a pretty solid job of finding him. So there was this like uh, fifth, sixth minute sequence where it looked like our defense just imploded and it was from that situation where Fede was stepping up the press switch to the far side find Kapu Jared Moreno drags Varane extremely deep and that's when Bakas played in behind and his first touch is terrible Militao saves us and then actually on the goal itself um which is not, I don't think people are going to look at this because there was a throw-in situation. But to get to that throw-in, it was the same situation where Fede, Fede steps up the press. Asensio is, is doing something somewhere in midfield on Trigueros. Capu is found free on that side. And then Casemiro has to come all the way to recover. He manages to intercept a pass, a throw-in situation. And then a bunch of stuff happens and we can discuss what led to us conceding that goal. But for Villarreal to even get there in the first place... They just constantly kept finding the free man. And and this is the issue. This is the thing with Zidane's one-off decisions, right? A strength with him mm. is his flexibility, ability to do a lot of surprises. But the problem with one-off drastic changes, you don't have the benefit of lots and lots of training sessions to ensure that your players get it 100%, right? So if it doesn't come off it can look really bad. And, th- and that's why Zidane, I think, can look so Jekyll and Hyde and it can look like genius one day and really poor the next is because it just, it depends on it just working out, right? Because the players don't have the training sessions to make the right adjustments if, 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 the, if the opposition is countering them or they can't get into their preferred shape. They can't, they don't have, they don't have the reps and the understanding of that shape to make the smart adjustments that we see for more regular shapes and, and looks really good. And I think that was the issue today where, and we saw this versus Real Sociedad, actually. I, I discussed the same thing sort of uh, in how we press them. But we saw that today, and I thought Villarreal really could have got a lot more going. You know, I know they got that goal, but if Baca's first touch wasn't like Odrio Zola's today, we could have been in more dangerous situations because they, they had the mechanisms to, to cut us apart. Like those up back through movements and third man runs, they were finding it. And Kapu was always, always free. And it, yeah, it's just some of these decisions I don't understand, right? Like why press in the first place? And then if you're going to press, why is it from such an intense man to man thing with Asensio having to step up and Odriozola having, it's, it's a bit weird to me. And I think that really hurt us today. I think the the point about the one-off thing, especially that becomes especially true when 
there's so much variability and people in and out of the lineup and the amount of turnover just due, due to injuries alone. And I, I think part of the problem with the switch, with the press today was that it just didn't have the synergy of like, like you said, there was no practice behind it or obviously there was practice. I'm just simplifying it just for the sake of the conversation, but there isn't that cohesiveness that is formed over the course of the season when you guys, when you're doing this with the same group of people over and over and over again. And I thought that led to some disjointed moments pressing. And I, I think um, Villarreal are really good. They're a pretty good build-up team that are composed and do well under pressure. I mean, this is not the same Villarreal we saw against Barca early in the season when they everything was still new. Coughlin and Parejo were still getting integrated. Emery was new, and they just didn't know how to escape a press. They've come a long way since then. And uh, they were able to play themselves out with a quick switch, a quick vertical pass. I mean, the rotations from Odrizola, um, Fede Valverde, <clears throat> Casemiro, they all had late rotations in this game. And that led to pretty good breaks for, for Villarreal. None of them really led to threatening shots on goal. Part of that is because Baca had a poor game. Um, but I actually thought like it wasn't until later in the half. Like the first good pressing sequence that I can remember was the 38th minute where Miguel is the one who eventually intercepts and is spearheaded by Modric. And Modric and Fede, there were, there were times in this game, and not all the times because you posted plenty of sequences on Twitter where this wasn't the case, but there were also plenty of times where Modric and Fede were much higher up the pitch pressing and Vinicius and Asensio were dropping far away from goal deep on the wings. And maybe that was also part of their uninvolvement too, was that they were just so far away from the box at times in this game. But I just think the press was, it, it fell apart a little bit too easy. And Trigueros' movement also gave us a lot of problems. You know, he was popping over to the right side and and we weren't tracking his runs. And he it almost like his runs were surprising us. And then he would sprint into the box and that surprised us. So, yeah, I, I just thought there was a little bit of a lack of center, synergy and I also thought Villarreal defended pretty well in their mid four four two block. It just weird. Villarreal kind of, as the game wore on, they kind of regressed in this game. They just played progressively worse, I thought. But um, yeah, I if and this ties into the what's next discussion, Om. I would love to see. I mean, some of my favorite Real Madrid performances ever have all come of like when we're pressing relentlessly, just waves of attacks bring the ball back high up the pitch. I love that kind of high-octane high octane football. I would love to see if there is a manager who would get us to kind of play that way consistently. It's just my... Mostly because, for, for selfish reasons, it's my favorite kind of football to watch. So I think Zidane was getting better at that, actually. And if we really want to really talk about what's unfortunate, it's that the pandemic made this very difficult. Yeah. And Zidane was just stubborn to end the season. And he decided that, I, I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing it, right? Like, it's funny. We don't think of him as an ideologue. But more and more as we go throughout his career, even in big games, right? Like, there are some edge cases. Like, if you look at the Atleti game um, at the Calderon um or the Wanda, I can't remember where it was still, whether it was still the Calderon or the Wanda, I think that was the last season at the Calderon actually, um, but you, everyone knows the game, I'm talking about the Ronaldo hat-trick, but if we really go and look at it, most of the times he, he, he chooses control or attempt to control games, fight for control, press high, 
It's what he did versus Chelsea. Um, and okay, maybe maybe people will argue we needed to because Chelsea could sit back. But versus Villarreal, you mentioned it, right? Like they are a possession-based team. They like to control the ball. They like to have possession, at least when it's nil-nil. And we can discuss about Emery's conservativeness and how it's impacted the second half. But they are a team that if we say, okay, we're going to sit off, right, and allow you to come on to us, they will. They're not just going to punt it long. They're going to attempt to build play. They're going to attempt to counter-press. We've been talking all season if we can, whenever Real Madrid are put in a more reactive scheme, that's when we thrive. When teams press us, that's when we thrive. You think about some of Vinicius's best games this season. It comes on the counterattack. You talk about Liverpool. You talk about Atalanta. These are teams who pressed us. These are teams who, well, in the first leg, I don't know what Liverpool were doing, but these are teams that gave us space in behind, and and we were able to thrive that way. And it's just really surprising to me that, and we've also talked about how we look good against Sevilla because of this reason. And yet we come up against Villarreal, who are in that mold of team, who we'd be excited to face, even though they're better than a lot of the weaker teams we face, just because of the stylistic matchup. And yet we really make no attempt to play a counterattacking game, right? Like it's, no, we're going to high press when we're gassed, when we're tired, when we're dead, we have injuries. We're going to seek to control possession when we all know we struggle to create from open play. And... It's not a decision that we had to make. We could have played a more counter-attacking game, played in Vinicius over the top, and tested Parejo as the single pivot in midfield, right? It's it's just it's just just a bit weird to me. Um, and uh, I, I don't know whether you expected that coming in, but I really, really thought Zidane was going to go for that, especially the lineup he put out. He put Vinicius out there. I thought, okay, this is... This is going to be mid-block counter-attacking transitions, and it depends on whether Vinicius is, is efficient and Benzema is efficient. And we didn't really see counter-attacks until the second half when things started to get a little chaotic. Yeah, which was which was kind of puzzling to me because, I didn't I, again, I didn't understand why Villarreal needed to change what they were doing. Um, they were fine in their, in their 4-4-2 block the way they were. Let's talk about the goal we conceded in the first half. What was your assessment on Pino's goal? I know what we were watching it live, and even the replay it was it was hot, kind of hard to decipher. And you have to kind of wait and go back and rewatch and rewind to see where the sequence kind of starts and who's tracking Pino the whole time. So, what was your read on that goal? Um, how did that? How did we end up conceding that? How did Pino actually break free there? So most of it, I give credit to Villarreal. That was like a very. Uh or it appeared like a very practiced kind of wing combination thing they they do to break through us at that speed and the way they were passing it. I don't know how much we could have done to to stop those initial passes. Militan does a good job of stepping out initially and he blocks that pass. And maybe this is harsh because there are other people that are possibly at fault. But Militao loses Pino to me. He makes a good interception and then never checks back over his shoulder and be, or the interception slash attempted clearance and maybe people will say he could have cleared it better but it was so awkward I think it was fine he's unlucky it falls to a Villarreal player and that's when he never recovers so he never checks over his shoulder and Pino gets in behind him and initially I thought and I think I saw some people say this that it was Odriozola's fault he was going with Baca he was with his man he was doing what he had to do I just think Militao lost his guy. And it's a shame because I thought he'd, he'd been defending fairly well up until that point. He'd been covering space really well because Varane kept getting sucked 
Gerard Moreno, which he had to do because it was a man-to-man scheme. And it almost, to me, it's that simple. It was a it was a very good bit of quality from Villarreal, and then Militao falls asleep for half a second, and then Pino does incredibly well to take the touch the other way, away from Odrias Zaka's dragging him the other way. And I, the the thing that shocks me the most is that Courtois almost saved that. Like for a half a second, I thought, oh my god, we're gonna get away with it, and then it falls into the back of the net. What am I missing? Are there other people you thought that were particularly culpable for this? No, I, I, I had it down to Militao mostly. I think Odriozola, I mean, this he was just basically left in the dust tr- trying to guard two people in a situation that was hard to salvage. I, Miguel initially tracks Pino. He's the one who's, who's tracking him, but he can't continue to track him in that, in that position because the play kind of dies when there's a slip. And then Miguel has to to go to the to the left side and and it's Militao's man at that point and and I think Militao just needed to do a better job. It's funny Militao has been awesome. Just really great through this whole stretch. He has had like these moments in 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 a couple of these games where he just he will get something wrong, but you know, for for the most part he's great. I don't really have too much else. I mean, I'm I'm also happy to to kind of I think we can extend the conversation to the entire game, maybe not just halves at this point. Did you feel like there well, was... I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, either way, I mean, we could go to the second half because I don't really think there's more to say about the first half. I, I, there weren't... There, there's one interesting chance where Modric kind of gets free and he puts it in the side netting, but mm. other than that, there was nothing more for, for either teams. I think I covered... In general, what Villarreal were doing, if we're going to talk about particular chances, I, I think it covers that. So if you wanted to just go to the second half, I'm cool with that because I'm basically done with first half notes. Well, my question then would be, why is it that we had those chances so sporadically? Like the Modric chance, I mean, the big one, which I'm surprised wasn't a little bit bigger on the XG chart, but maybe it was because of the angle, was Benzema's miss in the second half in the 65th minute where Rodrigo presses and uh helps win the ball ironically enough ironically enough and it's off of a good pressing sequence he had he rodrigo had a made a good impact so maybe we can make we can do this we can talk about like why wasn't our offense clicking um and what you think the subs changed and why zidane needed to make those subs or make or if the subs were were something you would have done would you have done something differently so I don't think there's any special reason. It's kind of the for the first half. It's it's the reasons we've struggled to create all season, especially in first halves, right? Like this was a very typical offensive performance for us in the first 45 minutes of a game. It's the second half where some intensity starts to come, some desperation starts to come. Casemiro starts to enter the final third more, which he did in the second half while he was still on, but more as a facilitator for some reason, and not him getting in the box, which is been another strange pattern throughout games of the season like versus Chelsea but it's it's we're we're not we don't have that possession play where like we can especially against VL who weren't necessarily pressing we're already kind of sitting off into a block like we're not that level of possession team you know from the tactics to the personnel to just be able to rip sides apart and and find all these high quality chances off cutbacks and stuff like we it's just not we just don't have it right like Zidane doesn't necessarily construct us that way 
And to be honest, I don't really think we have the players to do it. We maybe did with someone like Odegaard, who is gone now. But with the players out there on the pitch, with the midfield that we had, against the Villarreal side who were very organized, I mean, what are we going to do, right? Like, we're going to put some crosses into the box. Benzema is going to get involved. The one maybe different thing about today was that Casemiro in the first half was not going high at all because we weren't being pressed he dropped off rather deep and so there were some nice movements maybe from Modric moving higher up and having a little more freedom than he usually does trying to initiate combinations Fede was very active in trying things but ultimately it's kind of the same story right I mean I don't know if you found other things you'd want to say like obviously Vinicius in a sense who didn't have particularly amazing games i thought vinicius at least had something i'm not sure what asensio did today that is is noteworthy on the offensive end but yeah it's funny like i um asensio to me had one good moment where he he has a good dribbling sequence in the second half where he beats two players and gets a cross and the bar was low i think with asensio it's a little bit interesting because i i i was making pleas for for more players to just take players on and break some lines in this game. Fede was probably the best one at that in this game, actually. Um, Modric, Modric, again, tried to do a lot. And actually, I think of all things considered, Modric was probably our best player today, in my opinion. But I, I think, like, with with Asensio, he also overcomplicated things a little bit. Like, there was one moment where he had a simple pass out wide to Odriozola, who was wide open for years and years. And he decides to just look him off and dribble centrally and just pass it to nobody in the box. I think he he tried a little bit too hard to think outside the box there. There are, there are examples where you just need to simplify it and not break lines. Um, I thought Vinicius had a rough game. And uh, again, neither him and Asensio were, were that visible in this game. Capo, Capo, is it Capu? Capo, the way you pronounce it? I'm not sure. Capu, I checked. I checked both the Spanish commentators and Phil Shane, and they were saying Capu, so we'll run with that. All right, so I thought Capu did a really good job defending Vinicius, and pretty much anyone on that flank did as well. Um, I thought Vinicius was a little bit just passive in this game, and he's not normally that passive. He's much more proactive. He had at least a little bit better off-ball runs in the second half, and he had that shot at Rui, which was quite soft after Modric sets him free with a great, great pass. Um, so I was I was a little bit disappointed. Rodrigo just did more. I mean, Rodrigo was more active, and it's funny. Rod, out of the two subs that came in at the same time, it was Isco and Rodrigo in for um, Vinicius and Asensio. Isco had more touches than Rodrigo, but I thought Rodrigo just did more. He was a little bit more efficient with the ball. He just looked a little bit sharper. I noticed him more. Um, so that was one note I had on the subs from that particular exchange. And, um, and yeah, so I, I just think like Rodrigo probably outperformed off, out of all four of those people, Isco, Rodrigo, Asensio, Vinicius, Rodrigo had the better game and he came off the bench and I thought he was just a little bit more effective. So I didn't necessarily love Isco for Vinicius initially once Marcelo came on and we went to a back three, which I didn't realize it was going to be a back three until I actually saw what it was like. I thought that made more sense because we know Isco is just going to come inside and be a midfielder. And I thought, and this was, I think, maybe a less proactive game from Miguel. I know we've been very impressed with what he's done the last couple of games. Like, really, 
offering a lot and making us think, well, why didn't Zidane rely on this guy earlier? Hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know if there were a lot of people shouting for Miguel Gutierrez to be relied upon. I'm not that clued in to the people who watch Castilla. But we've been, out of all the Academy products I've seen this season, you know, Arribas is up there, but I, I really like Gutierrez. I, I, I didn't know if he was necessarily having that type of game. And to essentially isolate him out there, you're asking him to do a lot. Didn't love it, but I know Vinicius wasn't playing that well, so it's not something I could complain about too loudly. Loves Rodrigo coming on. Um, I, I agree with you. I think he, he offered more than any other attacker besides Benzema, obviously. He definitely offered a lot more pressing than Asensio did, which is why even though our overall structure wasn't amazing, he ended up creating that chance. Um, so that was that was great. I, I, I loved what he was able to provide today. And obviously, he assisted the first goal, so happy with that. Um, and I was quite intrigued by the second set of substitutions, which is what I think altered the game ever so slightly in our favor. And we'll discuss what Villarreal did and what was weird about that. But the second set of substitutions, Casemiro off, which is what shocked me because this is the guy we use to go and win late games. I'm still not quite sure what to think about that, but it was like, it's my last game, you know, uh, who cares? Let me just go for it. So Casemiro comes off, Miguel Gutierrez comes off, and Odrizola comes off, and it's for Mariano, Marcelo, and Nacho. So I think not, I or I thought Nacho's just going to play right back, Marcelo's going to play left back. We go 4-4-2, right? It's not what happens. It's a back three, back five sort of situation where Isco is roaming in front of Modric, Fede, or to the sides of them. But because Marcelo's on and we have that width, you know, it, it makes a little more sense to me. I thought Marcelo had moments of quality that we have that we've we've only seen in Sparks this season that I liked because if this is going to be his last game, like Lucas basically said, like this could possibly be his last game. It, it was nice to see a little bit get a little reminder of why we all used to love Marcelo so much and why he's my favorite Real Madrid player ever. So there was that one really good cross. I don't know if you remember it. That just missed Fed's head and it set up a rebound for like a really half decent chance for Benzema on the volley that he sent wide. And so just by making this change, it gives us an overload in midfield now because there's no Casemiro. There's no worrying about adjusting around him. There's a lot of there's three ball playing central mids who are going to float all over the place, try to initiate combinations. You have Marcelo out there who on the day happened to have a slightly bright offensive game. And then Rodrigo coming in from the right, looking to make things happen. So it's not that surprising to me that that formation that we saw there with those changes ended up just upticking it a lot. It wasn't by a ton, mind you, until we scored those two goals. There still weren't a lot of great chances coming our way. But it was they were understandable, logical substitutions by Zinedine Zidane. And I thought they were positive. So I thought Villarreal also kind of threw things away, not necessarily through the substitutions, because I understand that they have to rest and one nil up. Why not take off, um, you know, someone like Kapu and someone like Baca who are really important for you. And then later on Moreno, but the way they approached things like just from trying to manage the game was weird to me. Do you want to get to that now? Or do you have more stuff to say about the subs? No, I mean, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about the subs in general. I, um, I, <laughs> I thought Mariano in a vacuum was pretty poor, but he did at the very least um, drag 
I think it was Albiol away from from Benzema on the on the goal we scored, so he did that. But uh, no, I, you can I, go ahead and talk to me about Villarreal collapse. Let me know what you think. So I thought they were doing okay until our second set of substitutions. I just thought they were getting even more inefficient. I don't know if you noticed, but there were a lot of counters going their way. They were still breaking our press, and the passes just were becoming really, really awful in transition or semi-transition. So I was like, okay, you know, Emery is so far managing it correctly. And then after our substitutions, which... And this is this is honestly like it. It's also kind of a personal irritation for me because what that formation change did was it would it, or it could have solidified our pressing structure. Just because okay, now that we know we're a straight back three, back five, the the assignments just become clearer in players' minds, right? And it's it's a natural formation um, that translates to the pressing shape. Like almost no adjustments have to be made because we're thinking in the original one four three three slash four four two. How do we make it man-to-man? Now with a back three, back five, if you think about it, it all just sort of sets itself up. And so I was I was looking forward to seeing that. And almost immediately, and I think this is maybe after Rodrigo uh, creates that chance for Benzema, it's like, that's it. We're not building from the back anymore. And suddenly every single possession, starting from the goalkeeper, was a long ball. That was bizarre to me. Mm. Because you'd been doing so well... You, you had a very clear plan, whether we were going man-to-man or, or with some the central midfielder stepping up. You were doing well. You were exploiting it, and even though you weren't inefficient, it was putting pressure on us. It was allowing you to retain possession, which allowed prevented some offensive pressure from coming, from coming the other way. And they just started going long on every single goal kick, and I, I can't understand it. I don't know who made that decision, whether it was Emery, whether it was the players on the pitch. But from then on, right, it was just ball possession dominance from us. From that point onward, it was a question of, okay, we control the game now. There's not a lot of threat going to be coming our way because Villarreal were doing it off of breaking our press. And it was, could we find the goals? And I thought they just lost control of the game there. And they put, they, they gave, they put the game in our hands, which, okay, we're not amazing against a set defense, but you don't want to do that, right? Like, we still have set pieces. Like, if you allow us to control the game, we can find a way as we have this season, even if it's not going to look pretty. So that was a massive mistake to me. Don't know what the reasoning was behind that. I don't know if Emery said anything about that post-match press conference. I doubt journalists who are allowed to ask questions would have picked up on that and asked that. (laughs) But... I don't know if you noticed it. I, I, I'm just being honest. Like that's that's just not something they're going to be. Something like that is is not something they're going to ask. But to me, that was a turning point from Villarreal's end. And when you combine that with good substitutions from Zidane, it all comes together. And and it was just enough. In 87th minute, 91st minute, the goals come and we we win the game. Yeah, you and I are both very process oriented in terms of analyzing these games more so than the results themselves. I mean, the results are a byproduct of the process. And sometimes they reflect the process better than other situations, you know. So we always try to look at the context and stuff like that. And I think, like, uh, I was just, I I looked at the way VRL were defending us in the end. And that's why I kind of didn't get lost in the I'm proud of this team kind of thing. Because if you look at both of those goals, it was just very strange. Like, so the, the first one is, 
Bet no one, no one tracking Benzema who goes undetected. And the second one was Modric doing the same thing, basically on the other, with the ball coming from the other side, completely undetected. No one's picking him up, and by the time anyone realizes, it's way too late. And they had a few of those defensive sequences where right? it was just maybe they thought ahead. They were thinking he had Demetrius Snyder already. Maybe there was a set of complacency that crept in. Um, and I don't know. And Emery didn't say much. Like, he did not elaborate on that stuff. He basically just said that um, it all changed in a few minutes. We were winning, and then in the end, it kind of just changed and unraveled in the few, in the few minutes. Um, and, and he didn't really elaborate too much too much on that. Um, but I don't know. He did. He also, did, you know, kept saying like, "We have something to look forward to on this week against Metro Sinatra. So maybe their their heads were there already. I I don't know. It's hard to explain that one. It's kind of weird. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't. I don't have too much too much else to say. I mean, we can go through and do a quick note dump of like anything we missed. Rapid fire. Do you want to do that? I don't think I have anything left except I want to give props to Benzema on that goal and and the way he set up Modric as well. It was him who set up Modric, right? I'm not yeah. mis- misremembering now. Yeah, so he the way he's been magnificent this season, what he's done from a floor-raising perspective, and, and we've discussed the last podcast, I went on it forever. The last time I was on it, I went on it forever about the kinks of it, over-reliance on him, what that has to do with the system, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately the floor-raising effort he's done, the way he's been able to carry this offense from the progression to chance creation to actually finishing off the chances himself, it's truly immense. And I, I didn't think we'd see this from him at this level after he struggled those last couple of seasons when Ronaldo was here. And uh, I, I don't really know where we'd be without him because I just don't think there's that many center forwards in the world who can carry the kind of load that he did on so many different fronts in so many different phases of the game. The only one and only better player in La Liga this season was Lionel Messi, in my opinion. I think Benzema was that good. And uh, he's really cemented his legacy in a massive way at Real Madrid these last two seasons with what he's been able to do. Basically, every other attacker around him either failing to live up to expectations or just not being good enough at the moment. So in a way, I do think it was the perfect role for him because I think he is a floor raiser type, but he still has to live up to it. And that doesn't necessarily make it easier, even though he's well suited to doing that role. And he's he's been absolutely magnificent. Um, so massive props to him. And then that Modric, clearly dead by this point, could score the winning goal and make that run into the box at the end. I I feel like I, I I respected this guy and appreciated him to the utmost max, but I realized that there was more room for that after what I've seen from him this season where I don't think he's at his peak. I think we saw parts of it, especially in the middle of the season, which it, it, it felt like an incredible experience like that we were going back to from our youth or something, being able to see that version of Modric. But the fact that he's pushed on and played as many minutes as he as he has at his age without ever giving indication that he's going to give up or complain that's that's another level of respect i have for him and the career he's had at Real Madrid and if we're not counting Di Stefano as a central midfielder i 
don't think it's that controversial a case to say that at the moment he's the greatest central midfielder that we've ever had. Kroos might surpass that, but Modric has had that kind of career at Real Madrid, and he might be one of those few legends to to leave very graciously and with a big send-off because that's the kind of career he's had and that's the kind of character he is. So, yeah, it's I didn't I didn't think I could respect him more, but here we are. Yeah, I had Modric as the greatest central midfielder ever a couple of years ago even. I, I, I think it was before even the Ballon d'Or he won. I thought he was. He was going to go down as that. Um, Benzema, bar some kind of natural disaster, probably bar the, uh, the alien inv- invasion I talked about earlier, he's going to beat Raul's Champions League record next season. And he's probably going to do that within the group stages. So that's uh, that's the thing that's that's going to happen next season and, and and another season where I'm not sure where we'd be without him and I don't really want to know to be honest and I actually don't even think he had a, a a great game today but it's funny even despite that despite starting a bit flat uh, running into a, into trouble a couple of times with the dribbling his touches a little bit off still scores a disallowed goal and then an actual goal, and then gets an assist. So that's the kind of production we're talking about during a bad game of Benzema. He's just been fantastic. Um, you mentioned Miguel Gutierrez in passing earlier. I think uh, he had a really interesting duel with Pino on that side. And Pino got the better of him a couple of times, but I thought Miguel actually had a couple good, good moments defensively on that side as well. This wasn't the best Miguel game, but... Um, it's still all encouraging for me um, from what I see from him. So I, you know, I, I don't think Om like, despite all a lot of the stuff we're saying, I don't think a necessarily a revolution is needed. I, I do think, you know, if you look at two of the three of our midfield pil- pil- uh, pillars, Cruz and Casemiro are in their peak right now still, if you ask me. So I'm not too worried about them next season, other than the fact that I do think that, you know, we just have to make sure we don't run them into the ground, and that means we just have to hope we can stay healthy. And Fede can get integrated into the team more. Uh, maybe Odegaard comes back, he gets integrated into that team more. So, like, you know, little tweaks like that. I, the big one still to me is can we get better production on the wings who is going to be the backup left back and right back? And what does our defensive line look like? Alaba looks like it's almost 100% done. So knowing how we saw this season unfold, he's going to be a huge asset. Just the fact that he is a healthy body who is who has been at the highest level for so long. So that in itself is 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 going to be a huge help. But I, again, the wings, we got to sort it out. I would love to see Brahim get back. I'd lo- heck, heck, I'd like to see Aribas get into the mix a little bit more next season if we can. The tricky thing with him is that you just probably have to send him alone because you really can't rely on having enough minutes for him if you stay because you can't unclutter that position. But him and Brahim are two players I would love to to see in the mix somehow next season. I just but especially with Adibas, I don't think it's possible because it's way too cluttered and we haven't still found a home for Bale yet. So I guess the way I'll try to wrap up my thoughts, and I, I do want to end on Zidane and give him his props because, again, it's in that situation where I fire a lot of criticism, but I don't think it reflects my uh, big picture view on him, which has really 
liked a lot. Like I had a positive view of him when he left the first time, but I'm in a different place of appreciation for him now. But uh, I think Zidane leaving now tells you like it did it, it kind of at 2018 that one, I think he's just tired. Like he's mentally exhausted. I don't think he's ever had a trial like he's had throughout this season. And we've seen him lose his temper and get more frustrated than usual and be more defensive than usual. And I just, the season was really hard on him and it's not something he really wants to go through again, which takes me to my next point. Zidane just basically thinks that next season will be like this. And this is, this is not the environment for him. This is not the situation for him. And that's why he's stepping away. Like this is not his squad. This, these, this is not the type of squad that Zidane takes places. This is, and this was kind of the question that Matt had been asking earlier. Like, is Zidane the right guy for this squad? And uh, like, and that's the thing, right? You're talking about we need to figure stuff out on the wings. Like, we have options with loans or stuff, but it seems like something we've forgotten, maybe because of all the European Super League business. I mean, are we in a place financially to go out and get like? These, you, you say we don't need a revolution, but we still need like really key players in certain situations that would cost a lot of money. And like the Mbappe buzz is back with some of the things he said and, and blah, blah, blah. Where's the money? Like, are, are, we, are we really going to be in a different squad situation from next season? Can we realistically be in a different squad situation? Aside from loans and Alaba, who I completely forgot about, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that we're in a... A drastically different situation right which means again it's it's the same thing hopefully with a lot less injuries but we're running it back with with basically the same guys and maybe no Sergio Ramos and I don't know relying on Militao more or something and that's the thing right like the frustration with Zidane is is he had a proven winning plan with a particular style of personnel right with a particular way of playing especially offensively that has just he's just not gotten that at all in the second part of the season or second part of his career sorry with Real Madrid and my respect from him for him comes from the fact that one without really changing his main formula he so he he found a way to make winning work especially in 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 the first season when he came back right because he solidified the defense in a way that I didn't think he was capable of so just another time that Zidane has proven me wrong and he found ways to create goals without necessarily messing with the open play offense a lot which was being really clever on set pieces again I think this is something that's really underrated about Real Madrid and Zidane and his staff and whoever he has on helping him with that you can't just brush set pieces aside like it's cheating or something like it's a legitimate part of offense that people don't take enough advantage of and that won us the league title last season and has been even more important for us this season and you know he has done some legitimately unconventional things that other managers might be called geniuses for by sending Casemiro forward and it's not something a lot of coaches would have done it's very unorthodox way of using him and the fact that he's been able to consistently adapt and tinker and make his main plan and philosophy work, it, it made me gain a lot of respect for him. And he goes down so far as the second greatest coach in Real Madrid history with only Munoz beating him, I think, because Munoz, just he was just there for too many seasons where it, it would take basically another run like that to do it. But I think at this point, Zidane is the greatest bar him, right? Because no one else has a similar peak 
with the similar longevity. Like maybe I'm missing someone from like the 70s or 80s, but I just don't think it's there. Like Zidane has established himself as a legendary coach, as he was a legendary player. And I honestly think his coaching career at Real Madrid is more impressive than his playing career. So that's the level of respect I have for him. Um, but it's like we have come to a situation now where this just isn't the situation for Zidane. I think he recognizes that because as much as he's made his original plan work, I do think something different is needed because ultimately he said, I don't want Odegaard, I don't want Jovic, I don't want Marcos Llorente. Like people, especially Odegaard and Jovic, players that would have made a different way of playing, I think that would have made us better offensively. And I think that that would have given us a, like a, a solution that is now necessary because we've lost Ronaldo and we don't have the creators on the wing like Marcelo that, that we used to, or at least the old version of him. And so, yeah, we're in a place now where, okay, sure, we've, we've come to a point where Zidane's left and we're like, okay, now we can move on, except we can't because who are the alternatives? Who are legitimately the good alternatives who can give us that alternative style of playing that I believe we need. And I believe that Matt and, and you agree with me to certain degrees as well And that who is there. And I don't believe there's anyone there. And that also gives me a certain respect for Zidane where, yeah, we can say, Oh, we want this, we want this, but when we truly think of alternatives, we're thinking of like all time coaches as alternatives. We're thinking about, I mean, Pep will never come, right? But we're thinking about that level of coach. We're thinking about players, coaches who could become truly all-time tacticians like Pochettino, Tuchel, who are not available. Like, that's a, I mean, that's a hell of a thing to say, right? It doesn't feel like a compliment, especially to Zidane's stance, to, to, to constantly have to face those comparisons. But to be in a place where I don't feel like we will take a step up unless we get those types of coaches says a lot about Zidane and what he can achieve with his vision for vision of and way of playing in his particular preferred personnel right so i i mean i legitimately do love him at this point even though it can it can sound like i often don't because what i try to do on these podcasts and my articles is to try to take the emotion out of it but he has been a defining figure um that has like been a huge of me understanding tactics and and understanding processes moving forward and being able to understand how it's not so black and white, how there are things more than just these conventional tactics in the way I look at it. And he will go down, if he hasn't already, as as an absolute coaching legend in the game. And I don't know what the future looks like in the immediate future without him. And I'm, it gets better than than what we saw this season. Um, I like Allegri a lot, but, but we'll have to see if, if he is indeed the coach. But outside of him, if we're talking about Raul or Guti, like, I just don't know, man. Like, can we? Are we really confident in saying that? Yeah, there's an exciting path forward post Zidane. No, I, I would, I would keep Zidane if, if he didn't have a choice and I could decide. For, for however much it, it seems like I hate him to some people, my decision would be to keep Zidane on next season. Yeah, I don't have too much to add. Um, partly because um, the lack of caffeine is starting to kick in, but also because uh. I mentioned a lot of this stuff last week to the Castilla Corner crew, like a lot of the stuff that you were saying. And I and I do think the whole, if he does leave, which again is not 100% certain at the time of this recording, maybe when we wake up it'll be already outdated, the fact that we said that. But um, if he does leave, I think it pretty much is a good indicator that 
he's not getting anyone he wants in the transfer window, which means no Mbappe, no Kamavinga, no Pogba, etc. Like, you know, the usual names. And because I, I think he wouldn't leave if he got those guys. He would have been excited to coach them for next season. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is that I, I like you, don't feel like that there are more exciting names on the market right now. I don't hate the idea of Allegri, but I'm not excited about it either. I, I will say Allegri's pedigree in Europe is pretty good. And heck, heck even his domestic resume is pretty damn good. Um, if the club is unable to make wholesale changes and make big signings because of the financial situation, that means you are having to choose from your umbrella of loanies. That means you're going to have to keep looking from the squad within, which probably means you need a, a new tactical blueprint and a new way of motivating players and, and unearthing the best of them, which maybe Zidane genuinely feels he can't he can't do. And I also think that if Zidane leaves, it's because he genuinely cares about the club and he genuinely feels in his heart that it's not him that can take this team any further. I also think if Zidane leaves, that it's not goodbye with him again it's kind of going to be like the um Jupp Heynckes at Bayern thing where it's like whenever you need me just call the bat signal and I guess I'll be there I think he'll I think he'll come in and out of Real Madrid um over the years is my hunch of, of how this will go down and I will and I don't think he'll take manager jobs in between unless it's France or if it's a high profile club I don't think he'll take a lesser job and I think he's super, super happy and does not have any FOMO of not being in the picture at all during these breaks. And he actually will actually just go lay and kick, kick back on a beach with his kids and have fun. I don't think he even will be interested in, in taking another job. So that's kind of where I am with, with all this. And it's a tough one. This team needs new direction and it's kind of handcuffed in a lot of ways, which probably means that, which by the way, it's to me, it's they're going to go between Allegri and Raul because... One, Allegri for his name and Raul as plan B because if you're going to go the route where you're needing to rely on younger players, Raul kind of makes sense for that role. Um, so so I guess we'll see. Uh, by the way, the Castilla Corner crew had a lot of good insight on Raul too. So if you guys haven't listened to that podcast yet, go and listen to it. There's actually a whole, we up we uploaded the Raul segment specifically and put it on YouTube if you want only that segment as well. Um, and yeah, by the way, the Celtics are leading the Nets 32-20. I feel like within 30 seconds, KD will just splash <laughs> five three-pointers and then it'll be back back to it. No, no deficit at all. Uh, all right, let's go watch that game. And listeners, thank you so much for another wonderful season. We'll be back this summer pretty much nonstop. We're not gonna we're gonna take like a little break just in the sense there's no Real Madrid games to cover. But we're going to do a historical segment. We're going to cover the Euros extensively. We'll do Tuesday, Thursday weekend pods to cover all the Euro and Copa America games. Um, so we're not really going anywhere. So over to patreon.com slash managing Madrid for the last loan tracker podcast of the season coming up on Tuesday and then mailbag on Thursday. And then tomorrow on the free RSS feed, Ohm and Grant will uh, break down Las Blancas' game tomorrow morning. So... Yeah. You were going to say the last loon tracker, <laughs> which had a completely different meaning. But anyway, I, I think that, that signals that we need to sign off, Yeah, we're which done. you were getting around to. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Om. Take care, buddy. Thank you. All right. See you, man.
All right, before we wrap it up, just wanted to give a shout out to all of our amazing patrons who make this show possible and a specific shout out to all these $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the show. So shout out to Bella Chow, Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Parent, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharpup, Sergio Arispe, Santo Solorzano, Said Mahad, Sad Omar, Rovi Tahiev, Raul Gutierrez, Raga Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Oli Michael, Nico Laxo, Nick Robero, Nick Lar, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Mikkel, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Girard, George Tarazi, Gary Kovut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eric Rogers, Eric Rogers, excuse, excuse me, Elo Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fiori Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirudh Singh, Alexis Seniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your support. You guys are awesome. And we will see you on Tuesday over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Adam, buddy.